0: We'll hear argument first this morning in number 9097, American Hospital Association versus National Labor Relations Board. Uh,
1: Mr. Holzhauer. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case presents the narrow statutory question of whether the National Labor Relations Act permits the Board to establish a rule determining that eight specific bargaining units, and only those units, are appropriate for every acute care hospital in the United States. We believe that the language and legislative history of Section 9b of the Act, as well as the contemporaneous interpretation of the Act by the Board, make it clear that the rule is not permitted. Section 9b requires that the Board determine the appropriate unit in each case. The Board and the unions argue that those words refer solely to the proceeding in which the Board is to issue unit determinations. In their view, as long as the Board goes through the formality of a hearing, the requirements of the statute are met, even if that formality is an empty one, leading in every case to the same preordained result. Of course, Section 9C already requires hearings in contested representation cases, so in the Board's view, the in-each-case language, which was added deliberately by amendment to the Wagner Bill, adds nothing to the statute. Well, those words do mean something, and their meaning is demonstrated not only by the words themselves, but by both the legislative history of Section 9B and the Board's contemporaneous and long-standing interpretation of that section. The statutory language and its history were clear enough in 1980 and again in 1982 for the Board itself to hold that the adoption of a rule that a unit of registered nurses would be appropriate in every case would be, quote, inconsistent with the board, Section 9b responsibility to decide, in each case, whether the requested Mr. unit is appropriate.
2: Um,
3: we have to determine what the meaning of the in-each-case language is in this context. And it occurs to me that uh, this Court, for example, has an obligation to consider each case on its plenary docket, mm-hmm. and yet we search for rules of general applicability. Mm-hmm. to be applied to these cases. That's right. Now, isn't the Board doing essentially a similar thing and searching for some kind of rule of general applicability for most cases, leaving, of course, its extraordinary circumstances um, out, if
0: necessary?
1: Sure. Well, the Board is making that argument. They're arguing that the extraordinary circumstances exception allows it to pr- to consider, in each case, whether there are exceptions allowing uh, a different uh, result from the rule. But the extraordinary circumstances exception, which the Board did not say in its rulemaking uh, allowed case-by-case determination of, the, of, of of each case. In fact, it did not rely on the extraordinary circumstances uh, exception for the purpose now asserted by the Board. That, that exception is so narrow as to be illusory. The Board has made it clear in the rulemaking that it will no longer consider the individual facts and circumstances of each hospital and will disregard all of the factors it regards as critical in every other industry and that it always regarded as
3: critical in this industry. Uh, in- counsel, suppose the Board... Is this, what, what, is this the second rule that the NLRB has ever adopted? It, it's not much more than the second. Anyway. I
1: believe that this is the first substantive rule The that first substantive one. But I, it's about have- the
3: procedural rules. Now, but there's a lot of law that the NLRB has made. I mean, there's That's all right. sorts of rules about uh, what constitutes an unfair labor practice and so forth.
1: That's right.
3: Now, I assume they've been adopted on a case-by-case basis in adjudication. That's correct. And you have no problem with that. I have no problem with that because... So the, so the NLRB could say, uh, in, in its next adjudication, uh, it seems to us um, these eight units are appropriate bargaining units with respect to hospitals. And if it said that in adjudication it would be all right is that all you're arguing for?
1: no there, there are two distinctions that we're making first of all we're not arguing that it, that the board erred by engaging in rulemaking rather than adjudication in fact We think the rule would suffer from exactly the same defect and we'd be making exactly
3: the same arguments if it had been announced in adjudication. Well, not exactly the same. You might say it's arbitrary. You'd you'd make the same arbitrary and capricious argument that you make here, but you couldn't say that they're ignoring the case by case? Uh,
1: I would make the same statutory argument if they established a rule saying that these eight units are appropriate in every case and that we will not consider the facts and circumstances of hospitals in subsequent cases.
3: But why is that an inappropriate rule? Although and it is appropriate to say what constitutes an unfair labor practice, to well, say that every time you do this, every time you do it, it's an unfair labor practice.
1: Well, there are two differences. First of all, the "in each case" language of Section 9b does not apply to labor uh, to unfair labor practices. Section 9b says and only says that the board shall determine the appropriate unit in each case. It doesn't say that it shall determine unfair labor practices in each case. Now, the Board has established bargaining unit rules in adjudication, and the Board is now arguing that the rule that it's it's established in this industry is much the same as those rules, but but that's not correct. In no other industry has the Board established a rule that particular units and only those units will be appropriate in each and every case. And that's what violates the in-each-case requirement.
3: I, I thought that, that your brief said that the Board used to approve only four units because of a test it used to apply, the disparity of interest test or something of that sort. No,
1: the Board never said that it would, that it would approve or would not approve any particular number of units. It's changed the tests at times. At times, it, it followed the community of interest tests uh, that it follows in all other industries. At times, it switched to a disparity of interest tests, but that test did not result in a set number of units being appropriate in each and every case. In each and every case, the Board applied that test, looked at the facts and circumstances of each individual hospital, and decided whether under those facts and circumstances the particular unit that was before the Board was appropriate or not appropriate.
3: But applying a general rule to all of them. That's right. A disparity rule. of interest test or whatever other tests. That's right, and the Board could
1: establish a disparity of interest test and say we will decide in each case whether under the disparities of interest test Uh, this unit, the unit that's being sought in this particular proceeding, is appropriate. And even
3: though it knows that the outcome of that test will always be that there are eight appropriate bargaining units, it must not say that.
1: I don't think it would ever know that the outcome of that test would only be eight appropriate units or four appropriate units. Uh, the test would establish a, a standard, and each hospital would be free to introduce the facts and circumstances of that particular hospital to try to convince the Board that under those facts and circumstances, the particular unit before it was inappropriate. But
3: suppose the agency does believe that, that applying that test faithfully will always lead to these eight. I mean, it's studied all the types of employees at hospitals, and it's, it's confident that these eight are – that will be the situation in every case.
1: If the board believes that, I think it's free to say we think that we will presume that these eight units might, will be correct in each and every case. It can do but that in adjudication, but not in rulemaking. No, it can, can't do it, it can do it in adjudication or in rulemaking, uh, provided that it allow each employer in each case to introduce the facts and circumstances of that particular employer, uh, to convince the board that in that case, uh, that rule should not apply. The in each case language requires case by case evaluation of the appropriateness of the particular bargaining unit that 's without any
0: general principles at all.
1: Oh yes, it can establish general principles. In fact, it can establish the same kinds of principles that it's established in other industries. But, but it, can't, uh, it can't
0: establish a, a rule that is, is conclusive, regardless of, of the facts of a particular
1: case. That's right, that's right. What the board has done here is it said that, first of all, it, it said in its rulemaking that, all of these, that as to all of these factors it lists in its extraordinary exceptions exception, uh, extraordinary circumstances exception, hospitals don't vary in these respects. But to the extent they do, we find that we're better off ignoring those variations because the value of having a uniform rule outweighs the value of considering in each case uh, whether that bargaining unit is appropriate. We don't think that's proper. We think the Board has to look at the facts and circumstances of each case uh, to decide whether its rule is properly applied uh, to that Does case. that mean
0: simply that the Board can't have a conclusive presumption in the interest of administrative efficiency?
1: That's correct. It cannot have Does it mean anything more than that. It can have a, an exclusive presumption period no matter what the interest is. The board has the, the Congress has determined by putting in this in each case language which otherwise would be completely redundant and meaningless that the board must consider the facts and circumstances of any, of of each case. As long as they do that. Now the board has uh has argued or has written over the years that that's exactly what uh, what this rule uh, requires. It said so in adjudications in 1980 and 1982. In 1935, when the act was first being considered, Congress explained that the question of what bargaining unit is appropriate is, quote, obviously one for determination in each individual case.
4: Is your argument helped, counsel, by the provision in the statute that a majority of professional employees can vote to be included in another unit?
1: Sure, and, and in each case you would think that they would be allowed to make that presumption, to, to make that election. So the language of the statute itself helps you in that respect? I think that's correct. It also is helped by the fact that uh, the extent of organization is not supposed to be conclusive. In each case, the board is supposed to consider the facts and circumstances of the particular hospital to decide whether the unit at issue is or is not an appropriate unit. Uh, I, I,
4: as I recall, the regulations, though, did acknowledge that there could be this crossover if a majority of the employees in the unit, in, e- in each unit, accept ex- ex- the crossover. Is that the way it works?
1: Well, as, as far as professionals go, yes. There would have to be, uh, the, the professional employees would have to would have to accept that. There's one meaningful exception to this entire rule. Uh, That exception provides that if unions request that one or more of these units be combined, one or more of these eight units be combined, that will ordinarily be considered appropriate. But if an employer requests that, that will be inappropriate in every case. So I would assume that if a union came in and says, we want a combined professional and non-professional unit in this case, uh, the election procedures, the consent procedures would still apply, and such a combined unit, if appropriate, would be allowed. Of course, if an
3: employer sought that, it would not be allowed in any case. Well, why isn't that enough to establish that they are considering it case by case? Given two different hospitals, one hospital the employees want to organize in a particular fashion that has less than, less than all eight of these uh, uh, separate bargaining units, in the other in the other with respect to the other employer, they don't want to. They want to have only four or five. They're not considering it on a case by case basis. Well, the only situation in which they will consider that is when the unions come in and request
1: a combined unit. That's all you need. I don't think that's all you need. I think nine B and what Congress uh Aren't those two, two cases case.
3: treated differently? Excuse me. Aren't those two cases treated differently? You don't impose eight, eight separate unions on each of those two employers. That's you correct. wait to see what the unions want, what the employers well, the
1: want. Well, if the unions request an addition, uh, a combination of units, that can be allowed. But I don't think that that comports with the in-each-case requirement. Why? I think the in-each-case requirement requires the board, not the unions, but the board, to look at the facts and circumstances of each case, including the employer's argument, that because of the staffing patterns, supervision, contacts between employees, and so forth, that this particular unit is inappropriate or appropriate. Uh, And that can't be done under this rule. The the employer can never offer that evidence. if, If the Board, in 50 separate cases, had heard employers'
0: evidence to this effect, and in every single case it had said, well, this evidence just doesn't change our minds, it couldn't, at the end of those 50 cases, adopt some general principle
1: it could adopt the general principle saying that we might presume uh, that all of these units will be appropriate units, but the, boor- the employer or other parties before the board would still have to have the opportunity in each case to convince the Board that that unit is, appro- is appropriate. And that's exactly well, what the Board does in every other industry. Well, would, would the
0: Board have standards of relevancy that it could impose? It could say, we're not going to hear these kinds of evidence for the employer because in these other 50 cases we've decided it didn't make any difference?
1: Well, I think there would be some problem if the Board was saying that this is just a standard of, of relevance. I, I think it's important to point out first that that's not what the Board's done here. It didn't find that these factors are irrelevant. It found, instead, that for the most part, hospitals don't vary in the various respects that that the Board talked about, and that to the extent they do vary, which they acknowledged, the value of having a uniform rule outweighed the value of considering uh, those factors. If the Board had determined that all of the factors that it always considers in every other industry uh, were irrelevant and didn't didn't change its mind, I don't think that determination, frankly, could could survive scrutiny. These are the factors that the Board considers relevant in every other industry, and that it's considered relevant in hospital cases for the last 17 years. In case after case, applying these factors, the Board has found that one or another of the units that are now before it, and that are now deemed to be appropriate in every case, were in fact inappropriate, and have held that those units would not be allowed. Now for them to suddenly, after making all these decisions over the years, under both the disparity of interest standard, and the community of interest standard, for them to suddenly decide, no, these are no longer relevant, I don't think that could survive, survive scrutiny. But that's not what, they're do- what they've done in this case. What they've done in this case is say they don't vary in these respects, mostly, but to the extent they do vary in these respects, we're not going to consider that. We no longer think that that variation uh, is something we have to think about. We think instead that the value of a uniform rule outweighs that. Well, that might be so, and I think that that might be an interest uh, that's recognized in most rulemaking. But it's an interest that Congress foreclosed by requiring the board to decide in each case that the particular bargaining
5: unit is appropriate. thing that uh, the rule ends up in saying the board just refuses to decide what an appropriate unit is.
1: It does, exactly. It, decide, it refuses to decide uh, or to consider the facts and circumstances of a particular hospital in deciding whether one of the eight units is appropriate. Oh,
5: well, I know, but I suppose the board would say, well, uh, if, we, if, we, if we really didn't care about administrative efficiency or saving time or a lot of things like that, we would decide uh, this particular case differently. But we value uh, whatever it is we're valuing uh, so much that uh, we will disregard that otherwise we would find this unit to be inappropriate.
1: That's correct. That's correct. The board has decided that the value of uniformity, the value of the efficiency that comes from uniformity, and that's what it says in its rulemaking, outweighs uh, the desire to engage in case-by-case determination regardless in most cases. Of, uh,
5: regardless of what, uh, uh, of what they would uh, <coughs> decide uh, uh, <coughs> if they weren't so much interested in that's uniformity. Right.
1: That's right. Exactly. And in fact, the extraordinary... are subject- they interested in uniformity? I think that they, they have found... Administrative efficiency? I think it's administrative efficiency, as we know, and we can understand uh, the board's frustration in this case. Uh, over 13 years, the board lost case after case in this area. Uh, the courts of appeals kept refusing to enforce case after case. Now you just want them to another
5: one, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I would hope so. Uh, um, the, the board, in its extraordinary exceptions rash, uh, explanation, Uh, includes a long list of factors that it will no longer consider as appropriate. And then it goes on to say, not only are these factors inappropriate, but everything we've ever seen in 13 years of adjudicating these cases are inappropriate, even though in many of those adjudications, the Board found that a unit or more than one unit that it now designates as appropriate was inappropriate. We won't even think about these factors anymore.
5: Yeah, but not because they're not really inappropriate, it's because they want to save some time.
1: They want the value of a rule, right. They want to save time, they want administrative efficiency. And I'm not saying that administrative efficiency might not be a suitable value. What I'm saying is that administrative efficiency and that kind of uh, exercise of administrative efficiency is foreclosed by Section 9B and by the requirement that the Board has acknowledged over the years, that Congress has acknowledged over the years, uh, that Section 9B requires case-by-case determination.
5: Would you be here, uh, uh, would you be here if, the bo- if the rule had said, uh, <clears throat> we're going to treat every hospital the same, uh, namely, we're going to have only one unit in every hospital?
1: I suspect that if they made that thing, I would be here, but I'd be on the other side of the table. Uh I strongly suspect the AFL CIO would be here saying that this rule violates the in each case requirement. But you would say
5: but you would be supporting the rule.
1: Well in that case certainly the uh, the, the interest possibly of, do it. The interest of the AHA might favor such rule, uh, but on the other hand I would have to submit that the in each case language prohibits that kind of uniform rule as well. Exactly. Even if it had one unit or two units or the statutory minimum of three units, professional, non professional, and guard.
4: In labor cases generally, uh, other than in the health area, if employees agree upon a unit, uh, is that generally accepted by the
1: board? No, the, the employees cannot agree upon a unit. No, the, the, there is a, a, a procedure where if the employer and the union uh, seeking the unit agree, uh, that the board will ordinarily agree to, to that unit, provided it's not clearly inappropriate. Suppose all
4: of the employees uh, make a submission as to what they want the unit to be. Does the board accept that, or does it just doesn't work that way? Is that what you're saying? Well, thought? it
1: generally doesn't work that way. Although, if if a union and an employer says we want it, uh, that would be one thing. Although, still there are some standards, like the professional/non-professional standard that the board has to work from, and it has to determine whether the unit's appropriate. If the employer and the union and the unions agree that this is an appropriate union uh, unit and we'll have an election, uh, the board ordinarily will, will go ahead with that.
3: Uh, so, but it okay. can
1: determine that that's inappropriate.
3: Mr. Holzhauer, uh, is it correct, as, uh, as is charged in, uh, in respondent's brief, that the, uh, your client, the uh, American Hospital Association, uh, once upon a time took just the opposite position, uh, that the, uh, it was necessary for the NLRB to uh, develop a, quote, uniform national approach to appropriate units in the health care industry?
1: I believe that was correct. In fact, most, much of that, that explanation occurred during the rulemaking proceeding when the board was when, when the American Hospital Association, once the board decided to engage in rulemaking, decided it was going to get the best rule it possibly could.
3: But the fact of the matter is... if well, this, this was before the rulemaking, I think. This, this was much earlier when the, when the, when the, when the uh, board was still proceeding case by case, and yes. you were knocking down these cases in the courts of appeals because you were saying it's necessary to have a uniform national approach. So they now go through a rulemaking and adopt a new, uh, uniform national approach, and you, you change the tune. Well, let me respond in two different ways. First of all, the
1: in-each-case requirement requires Case-by-case case consideration of bargaining units, and if the American Hospital Association took a contrary position uh, and made a, an argument that's contrary to what the statute means, the American Hospital Association was wrong. Secondly, a uniform rule, or a uniform — that's right, a uniform rule or a uniform policy, does not have to be a conclusive presumption. It doesn't have to say we will regard these units as appropriate in each and every case regardless of the facts and circumstances of each case. A uniform rule can allow for meaningful exceptions, which is not what this rule does. In fact, the uniform rule can be like the rules that the board has established in other industries. In no other industry has the board established a rule that particular units and only those particular units will be appropriate in every case. In those few industries where the board has established presumptions, employers are given the full opportunity to rebut those presumptions and to show that the facts and circumstances of a particular workplace warrant a different result.
3: Is any other industry litigated as assiduously as yours?
1: I don't know. I don't know that. Um, I assume that there has been uh, litigation in some industries, but there's never been a rulemaking like this, and also our industry had a much different history than other industries. Our industry was not covered, uh, by and large, by the National Labor Relations Act. At least the dominant non-proprietary sector was not covered by the National Labor Relations Act until 1974, or at least between 1947 and 1974. And the announcement that it would suddenly cover did give rise to uh, to an increased amount of litigation. There's no question about that. Uh, but other industries had litigation over units and appropriate units over the years. But in all those other cases, the employer is allowed to offer evidence to rebut the presumption and to show that the facts and circumstances of the particular workplace warrant a different result. There's no such possibility under the Board's rule, and the Board emphasized in its rulemaking that it was not merely establishing rebuttable presumptions that the eight units uh, were correct. I think it's important to realize that acceptance of our argument would not mean that those other vastly different rules would be invalid. When those other rules are applied, the Board continues to give case-by-case consideration to the facts and circumstances of each employer and to comply with the in-each-case requirement. We're not engaging in a broad attack on presumptions or upon the board's rulemaking authority. We're merely making the argument that in this one area where the statute requires case-by-case consideration, the board must take into account the circumstances of each employer and cannot adopt rules that eliminate that consideration. Now, our argument, in addition to the original language and history of the National Labor If the Board had just
5: made it a rebuttable presumption, how often do you think you would ever win a case?
1: Well, in other industries, the cases are won uh, quite often, and I think we would win cases uh, quite often. If the facts and circumstances showed uh, that a different unit was appropriate...
5: You'd have to convince
1: the Board the fact or circumstances really showed, though. That's right. That's right, and I think we would be able to do that. I think we would be able to do that in numerous cases. Now, I'm not sure whether it makes sense to say that in those circumstances the board... More often than, if, more often than you would
5: uh, by showing, uh, what, what do they call it under this rule, exceptional circumstances?
1: Extraordinary circumstances, yes. Extraordinary circumstances is an empty exception. Uh, here the board says that all of the factors... How do you know it is? Because the board says it is. Well, it's
5: empty, we've got it in there, but it means
1: nothing. Well, the board has said, the board, first of all, has not said in any time in its rulemaking proceeding that the extraordinary circumstances exception is designed to allow case-by-case determination of bargaining units. It basically said that it was no, an it, escape it valve. that
5: says that in any case, in any case, uh, there may be extraordinary exception.
1: But those extraordinary circumstances, uh, that could exist, uh, exclude all of the factors, all of the facts and circumstances Uh, that are most relevant in every other industry. Is that what the rule says? That's what the rule says. That's that's what the the board has explained the rule is saying in in its notice of proposed rulemaking. Does extraordinary
4: circumstance mean something other than a bargaining unit that would have five or less members?
1: It's it's hard to believe, under the circumstances the board has has said, that it could possibly mean anything more than that. Uh, The extraordinary circumstances exception says that every kind of issue Every kind of factor that we've seen in the past 13 years of adjudicating hospital cases and all of these other factors that we've seen in other cases cannot be considered extraordinary circumstances, things like the size of the institution, the services provided, functional integration of employees, which is a critical factor in every other industry, contact among employees, uh, different kinds of concepts that are important in the hospital industry, multi-competent workers, which people who are cross
3: team care. None of these things can be considered. Maybe it thinks these factors never That's why it had the rulemaking. Maybe it found that these factors never exist, that there isn't any functional integration between, between nurses and doctors, or between nurses and guards, or between nurses and... and uh and maintenance workers. Maybe it has found that as a result of its rulemaking. Well, it hasn't conducted rulemakings for other, for other. Well, people. what has happened? What has happened in this rulemaking is two things. First of all, it said
1: that we don't think these differences exist in significant extent uh, in this industry. Um, I think that's arbitrary and capricious, and we've made that argument. Secondly, though, it says that to the extent it does exist, and they acknowledge these variations do exist to a certain extent, we will disregard them because we think the value of the uniform rule exceeds. Uh, the, the, the value of going through this case-by-case consideration. Well, I think that's a determination that Congress said the Board can't engage in. I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time.
0: Very well, Mr. Holzhauer. Mr. Shapiro.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. After 13 years of extensive controversy, uncertainty, delay, and expense, The Labor Board decided to initiate a rulemaking proceeding on the vexing question of unit determinations in the healthcare industry. Uh, After some two years, which included two very extensive notices of proposed rulemaking, a number of significant modifications in the proposed rule, consideration of some 3,500 pages of testimony, From over 140 witnesses, at 18 to 100 written submissions, the board formulated its final rule, specifying the types of bargaining units that, in the absence of extraordinary circumstances, would be considered appropriate on the filing of a proper petition for most acute care hospitals. I should note, parenthetically, as Mr. Earl has mentioned, that the rule specifically contemplates uh, the possibility of a union petition for a combination uh, of units, and in that sense, uh, the regulation uh, is significant in imposing a ceiling uh, rather than a floor. This regulation is fully consistent with the board's authority under the labor under the labor laws. It is firmly rooted. In an exhaustive investigation and analysis of the record, Mr. It, Shapiro, would you say the rule would be valid even if there were no extraordinary circumstances? I believe that it would, exception. Your Honor. Yes, I believe that it would. Um, I think the board was very wise in including an extraordinary circumstances exception in the record uh, in the rule, but I do not believe that anything in the act or the legislative history of the 1974 Act. Uh, require such an exception or indeed an uh, analogous precedents of this court in other areas. The, the rule is, in fact, we submit a model of how the administrative process should work. Now, it's been challenged by the petitioner... You know,
5: even though it's the first time in history they had ever yeah. tried to do it.
2: It's unfortunate that it's taken so they long. Did pretty,
5: you, they did pretty well on the first try. Is that it? <laughs>
2: I think they did magnificently, because they knew how important this process was.
3: Um, A lot of courts and commentators have criticized the Labor Board in the past, haven't they? Yes, indeed. For not conducting rulemaking.
2: Yes, indeed, and I think the Board has been responsive to those criticisms in an area where there was a singular need for that kind of response.
3: Thirteen years of litigation.
2: (laughs) Well, uh, that was a factor, no question about
4: it. Your comment that this is a a ceiling on the number of groups because there can be fewer groups if the employees uh, so elect, uh, that excludes any participation by the employer in that determination. And that, I I take it, and I take it also that that is inconsistent with the board's rule in all other areas where the employer has a voice.
2: Well, the employer... uh I think it's important to, to establish at the outset that the employer's role in the petitioning process is a very limited one. Uh, it is the union as the representative of the employees that chooses the bargaining unit to be sought through petition. The only time that an employer is authorized to petition under the Act is when confronted with a union demand for recognition. And if the employer files a petition, my understanding is that by withdrawing the demand, the union can effectively boot that petition. The petition route is the route that allows the union, as the representative of the employees, to seek an appropriate unit. Now, when a petition is filed, uh, it is not open to the employer to argue that. Another unit is also appropriate, or even much more appropriate. The employer's burden would be to show that this unit is not appropriate. And of course, the, the whole purpose of this regulation was to establish rules under which uh, we uh, uh, acknowledge, exactly, indeed, we are. Well, right.
5: that's just that's what the, exactly the employer wants to do in this case is to show that it's inappropriate.
2: Well, the employer and,
5: uh, you, you, and the board won't let him.
2: You mean it's a rulemaking proceeding, they want to attack the rule as arbitrary capricious because they, they claim that this rule cannot properly establish appropriate units in the industry. Uh, in, a, in a particular procedure, of course, the operation of the rule would effectively preclude uh, the employer from trying to show that a given unit within the rule is not appropriate unless, in the very limited case... And we acknowledge it is very limited, uh, extraordinary circumstances.
5: Did uh, the employers uh, participate, did the association participate in this uh, rule-making. rulemaking and oppose this rule?
2: Yes, they did, Your Honor. Uh, there was congestion from the industry. And they had their
5: full say in the hearing? Oh, yes. <laughs> Too much, you think? <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> <the> at least enough. <laughs> the... Uh, The rule is challenged here by petitioner on three grounds, although uh, Mr. Oldsauer really concentrated only on one of them, uh, his oral argument. First, that the rule is inconsistent uh, with the language of Section 9b, and particularly the, uh, in each case, language. Second, that the rule is inconsistent with an admonition uh, that appears in certain committee reports accompanying the 1974 amendment to the Act, which removed the exemption for non-profit hospitals, and finally that the rule is arbitrary and capricious. The Court of Appeals we submit properly rejected each of those three grounds. It properly rejected the Reliance on Section 9b, because the N.H. case requirement does not preclude the board from formulating rules of decision that govern in each case that effectively supply rules of relevance uh, and that help to assure that like cases will be treated alike.
0: What does the N.H. case requirement, what obligation does that impose on the board, Mr. Shapiro?
2: Your Honor, we think the obligation of the in-each-case requirement is an obligation to to apply whatever standards and rules may exist in the context of a particular proceeding to determine the appropriate unit. Uh, If you go back to the history of the 1935 legislation, the in-each-case language was one of a number of amendments proposed by Secretary of Labor Perkins as she described it for the sake of clarity. That clarification may not have been essential, but it was helpful because the very specific petition requirement of Section 9C, which the Board later developed and which now appears in Section 9C, was not a part of the original Act. The original Section 9C was a good deal vaguer about how the process worked, and in that context, we believe the in each case uh, provision was a useful one. We do not believe that that clarifying language should be given the radical and very destructive definition uh, that Petitioner would give it here. Uh, It does not preclude the Board from formulating rules of decision that facilitate a determination that in a particular case there is no genuine issue of material fact. It does not require the Board to develop, to reinvent the wheel in each case. Now, this argument, we believe, has two very strong supports.
3: One is that very
2: similar arguments have, over the past 35 years, been rejected by this court in a series of decisions beginning with store broadcasting back in the 1950s. Uh, the argument has been repeatedly made that particular regulations cannot survive challenge not because they clash with some substantive provision of law, but because they are at odds with the statutory requirement of an opportunity for a hearing or a statutory requirement of an individualized determination. This Court has repeatedly rejected those challenges on the grounds they do not undermine the fundamental administrative authority ...to formulate rules of decision. It did so in the Storer case in the 50s, in the Texco case in the
0: Was there 60s. similar language in the Communications Act to the in-each-case language in the uh, Labor Act?
2: In a way, it seems to me, Your Honor, that there was stronger language, because in the Communications Act, the statute said that if the agency cannot decide that a particular application, a particular license would be in the public interest. Then it was required to set the case for hearing. Now, what the communications decision commission did was to say that if a station owner already owned five stations, he could not get a sixth. That was a flat rule. There was a waiver procedure provided, but the rule, in a sense, facilitated permitted summary judgment. If a station order already had five stations, there was no genuine issue of material fact that required a hearing. This language in each case says nothing about a requirement of a hearing and does not address the sources of law to be applied in each case. Now, the, the precedent of the store case has been repeatedly applied by this court in Texco in the 60s, more recently in WNCN in Eckler and Gamble and just last month uh, in the mobile case so not only is there a long line of precedent in this court uh, there is also we believe uh, a consistent view of the labor boards that squares with its position uh, in this procedure
5: Uh, what what were the circumstances uh, or what 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 was the reason that the the Board uh, undertook this rulemaking and arrived at this result, uh, rather than doing what it did for 13 years?
2: Well, I I think there were a number of reasons, Your Honor. I think one was that the Board had had a good deal of difficulty both understanding the industry, acquiring enough information, had in persuading the Court of appeals that it was acting consistently with its legal, legal obligations. The courts of appeals were widely divided on what those obligations were, very widely divided. But they all did seem to agree on one thing, and that is that the board had to address the problem as a distinctive problem in a distinctive way. And I think the board was both responding to that and to its very acute need for more information by undertaking this proceeding. I also believe that part of what the board was doing was an echo of what it tried to do in the first St. Francis case. That is, the board was mindful of the admonition in the 1974 committee reports that there should not be too many bargaining units. And one thing it tried to do in its first St. Francis case was to set a on the number of bargaining units that would be authorized in the industry to prevent the kind of balkanization that had occurred in the construction industry, which is an industry that had a very large number of different skills and crafts, very much like the hospital industry. And so one of the objectives of this uh, rule, we believe, and a very significant one, was to establish a cap on the number of units uh, which would apply in each
5: case. You don't think they had any any reason, just to, to uh, administrative efficiency, think, or uh, just a, some abstract value of uniformity, or?
2: I think administrative.
5: Without which they might have uh, found some of these units to be inappropriate.
2: I think administrative efficiency was a factor. I think it's been vastly overrated in the argument that Mr. Altour just made. I think. That what was motivating the board the board here and what it made very clear in its lengthy opinions was a desire to determine whether, despite the variations among hospitals, they had enough in common so that as a matter of law they should be treated alike. Uh, that their goal ultimately was to focus on the issue whether a certain class of acute care hospitals had enough in common to warrant this kind of treatment. They recognize that no two hospitals are alike, just as no two fingerprints are alike, no two people are alike. The question remains whether a valid legal generalization can be made about fingerprints, people, or hospitals. The board concluded that it could. Now, I think it's probably true, Your Honor, that, as a result of the rule, individual cases might be decided differently. Indeed, that were not so, there seems to be little point in having the rule. Uh, And the board has made a conscious, and we believe wise decision, that the trade-off is worth it. Indeed, there are some indications that the size of accordance with the rule...
5: The the trade-off, and uh, what's traded off against what?
2: What is traded off is... Perhaps certain marginal cases where a particular proceeding might be decided differently, in the sense that a given unit was inappropriate, and yet it doesn't qualify for the extraordinary circumstances exception that is governed by the rule. Well, in
5: that kind of a case, is it, are, is it, is the board really acting consistent with the direction to to decide in a, in that particular case what what unit is appropriate?
2: I believe it is. Your Honor, because. Oh. I, I believe that the NhG's requirement does not stand in the way of the board's articulating rules that are to be applied. But they said
5: that except for this general rule that they've now made, they would decide the case differently. If they really got down to, to uh, brass tacks and, uh, and decided uh, and looked at the case, they would. You just said they would might decide it differently. Yes, they might
2: decide it differently for a wide variety of reasons. One might turn simply on.
5: Us- one of them is that. It- is that the hospitals are different?
2: Hospitals are different. The question is, are they so different that the board is precluded from this kind of generalization about when units are appropriate? There are problems involved in leaving decision to the discretion of the adjudicator every time, and in our view, I'd be does not require that. Those problems include the. The uh, possibility that the result may turn on the particular three-member battle that is hitting out of the five members of the board, in that case, might turn on the particular skills of the adversaries. One of the great virtues of the administrative rulemaking process is to allow agencies to narrow their discretion, not just to avoid costly and expensive litigation, although, of course... But it's been
0: done only in, in the area of hospitals by the board, is it?
2: Your Honor, this kind of regulation is, is novel, but I think that...
0: I didn't quite get your
2: This regulation is novel. There's no other industry that has a comparable regulation. But the Board has, in fact, in the past, formulated rules of decision that are not simply presumptions, as Petitioner would suggest. The Board has, in the past, formulated conclusive presumptions in the area of unit determination. For example... In the 10th annual report, which petition relies on, where the board said that under 9 they are required uh, to make a decision on the facts of each case, the board articulated a number of rules uh, that it had developed. Some of those rules were conclusive rules. For example, this was before Taft-Hartley. The board had a conclusive rule. That supervisors would never be put into the unit with the people they supervised unless there was a long history of bargaining uh, in that very unit. The board had a conclusive rule that confidential employees would not be put in any unit. The board had a conclusive rule that people who monitor other people would not be put in a unit with the people they monitored in the postal industry after the enactment of the uh, Postal Reform Act. Uh, the board announced what was essentially a conclusive rule, that a petition would be dismissed unless it's thought to represent all the employees in a region or section, unless it was submitted on a nationwide basis. These were... And that was the, the craft a, a
5: rule established by adjudication.
2: Yes, Your Honor, but it was conclusive. It was, as it,
5: was, it was a very... With the with result very similar to this rule that's been adopted.
2: Yes, yes, Your Honor. Uh, the Board, in a wide variety of areas, has done its job well in adjudication in establishing a range of rules that vary from mild preferences to very strong presumptions. For example, in the single uh, facility area, the Board has said, that units will be restricted to a single facility unless a very strong showing that more than one facility operates on an integrated basis can be made to rules that are truly conclusive. We submit it is not a defect of this rule that it increases certainty and predictability. It's a virtue. I would like, if I may, to address uh, the admonition in the 1974 reports because it has been such a large part of the litigation over the years, and because Petitioner places so much emphasis on that in its brief, uh, the board's view, as articulated in its decision in this case, is that the advenition in those committee reports, which neither accompanies nor explains any relevant statutory language, does not have any binding legal effect. The admonition is a request to the committee, to the board, by the relevant committees. uh, We submit that it is a matter, essentially, between the board and the committees of Congress that wrote those admonitions. Now, we also contend that even if the admonitions were incorporated in the statute itself, that the Board has fully complied with their letter and their spirit. Uh, The admonition to begin with does not, despite petitioners' heroic efforts, does not speak at all to the choice between rulemaking and adjudication. Uh, And indeed, there is nothing in the legislative history of this legislative history that suggests that the admonition is concerned with the choice between rulemaking and adjudication. The board, the the admonition, asks the board to give due consideration to preventing proliferation. The board has done that in this rule in two very significant ways. First of all, it has paid very close attention to the problem of the number of units. It has determined on the basis of the record and its experience that there is no domino effect in the hospital industry. ...that the authorization of a particular unit, and most of the units that have been authorized, look like the units that are specified in this regulation. That the authorization of a particular unit...
5: Are you suggesting that over the, over the, all this, these years of litigation about uh, hospitals, that their case-by-case case adjudication sort of uh, pointed towards uh, eight units?
2: By large, Your Honor, yes. Yes. Um, and the units that are specified are the units that, in general, have been traditionally recognized. Now, physicians rarely seek units. Guards rarely seek units. Uh, but the history shows, most of the time by consent, sometimes by litigation, that when registered nurses seek a unit, a registered nurses unit will be authorized. In fact, the two main controversies that have led to litigation are rather limited ones. One involves registered nurses and whether they should be combined with other professionals, and the other involves separate maintenance workers. But a report by the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service shows that of all hospitals that have bargaining units today, 55% have only one bargaining unit, 80% have two or less, and 90% have three or less. The Board was conscious of that. The Board also, as I've suggested, was very conscious of the need to put a cap on the number of units uh, to prevent the kind of balkanization that occurred in the construction industry. So the Board has ruled that all other professionals are confined to one unit, that all technical workers, despite the very substantial difference in their skills and their functions, are combined in one unit. That all skilled maintenance workers, despite the balkanization of workers in other industries, uh, are confined to one unit. So the board has been concerned about the numbers problem. The board has also investigated exhaustively the question whether the evils thought to come with proliferation are associated with these bargaining units. And the board has determined that they are not. The statistics indicate that the strike rate in the hospital industry is quite low, uh, lower than in other industries. And indeed, there is empirical evidence to suggest um, that the size of units, uh, or I'm sorry, the number of units is inversely related to the likelihood of a strike. Uh, Beyond that, There is evidence, uh, and indeed it doesn't take a lot of evidence, to know that the larger the bargaining unit, the more disruptive a strike is likely to be, especially in the absence of a sympathy strike.
3: Mr. Shapiro, to what extent, this is to show my ignorance about this area, but to what extent uh, is there room under the regulation for there to be debate and divergence over whether a particular employee is, for example, a professional or a technical employee?
2: That question is effectively left open in most areas. That has areas. to be resolved in each case, does it? There are many questions that have to be resolved in each case. Some questions go to unit determination itself. For example, single facility or multi-facility. Uh, had many questions go to closely related issues, employee placement, for example, the question uh, that you raise, dual-capacity employees, uh, a wide variety. In fact, uh, uh, the, uh, in our brief, I think it was at note 14, we indicated a whole raft of questions that raised for determination in each case.
5: Mr. Mr. Shapiro, uh, did I understand you to say that... Uh that it's very likely that uh, an awful lot of hospitals uh, will, uh, as, as a matter of fact, will not have the eight uh, bargaining
2: units. That's correct, Your Honor. That's okay. correct. That's correct. I many? what What percentage? Oh, I, I can't give you a percentage, except that I don't think there are many hospitals out there that have been operating under the 1974 <laughs> Act that have anywhere approximating those that number of Listen, units.
5: You, you're saying this is just a ceiling.
2: This, this is all practical purposes.
5: Ceiling and uh, so in each case it's going to have to be decided uh, which of the eight units are going to be...
2: Depending on what's thought. Now, we acknowledge on, on what is thought.
5: Yeah. We so and, and I take it that the board just isn't automatically going to agree with every time with what's thought.
2: Well, I think the board has indicated, Your Honor, that... Let's take a hypothetical. If the union seeks a unit of registered nurses, that's one of the most controversial areas, and the employer comes back and says, I want an opportunity to show that in this hospital a unit of registered nurses is appropriate. Uh, Let's say because uh, we operate in teams here.
5: Will, Will they listen to that?
2: Not if that's all that the employer says, unless there's some... Uh, As the board has said, very extraordinary circumstances. The board has, in fact, not only dealt with these cases over many years, but has dealt very exhaustively in the rulemaking proceeding with that kind of argument.
5: Wouldn't uh, wouldn't it be the case that sometimes there will be more than one union uh, involved in the case?
2: Well, if if they are competing unions, uh, which are speaking different formulations, I... I they say, one important question I'm not sure of the answer of you have one union that's going to... Well, into, at
5: least in each case they're going to have to decide, aren't they?
2: A uh, case involving rival claims where one union wants a broader unit than another union, uh, my, my reaction to that is that would be a case that the, that the board would necessarily have to resolve. Uh, the regulation may be helpful, but I don't quite see how the regulation could determine it if one union were speaking... A unit that included what another union was seeking, uh, but it is true that in the main,
3: well, well, I, don't, well I wouldn't. I I, f- I thought the rule was that if any of these subunits uh, is sought, it's granted.
2: That Ooh. may be. I'm trying to work this because I just hadn't it thought of me, if if one union unit seeks the unit of. Skilled maintenance workers and another unit union wants a combination. I guess that's right. That the union that seeks the unit of skilled maintenance be
3: workers. Pretty unlikely prevail. that they would both have a majority. It would be. But
2: it's not. Uh, it is not conceivable, particularly if the skilled maintenance workers are a very small number of the larger unit. Uh, but in cases, of course, where combined units are sought, the board would determine uh, whether that was appropriate in that case. I would like if I it. But,
5: but the board would uh, t- take a union suggestion uh, that uh, that uh, all technical employees, all skilled maintenance employees, and all business office clerical employees should be included in one unit.
2: If the union thought that uh, that would that would be consistent with the regulation. The board might not ne- might not necessarily approve it. The board would have to find that that was an appropriate unit. Yes. Uh, but the regulation would not preclude that finding.
5: It would not what?
2: Preclude that finding because the regulation allows mm-hmm. a union to speak. So
5: that, it. Uh, so that in each case there m- might be uh, different uh, units than what is are specified in the uh, in, in the eight, in, the, eight, in eight. the
2: union thought it, yes, Your Honor. Thank you. My time is up. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Mr. Shapiro. Mr. Hossauer, do you have rebuttal? You have three minutes.
1: Yes, thank you. It's interesting that the board refers here to the first St. Francis case and says that it's basically trying to reestablish the first St. Francis approach. In that first St. Francis case, the board held that the in-each-case language of Section 9b precludes the kind of presumption that it had in the past that a nurses' unit, an RN unit, would be appropriate in each and every case. What this rule does is it says if a union comes and asks for any one of these eight units, That unit is appropriate, period. The employer cannot offer facts and circumstances of a particular employer uh, or a particular workplace or a grouping of employees to rebut that presumption. Will
0: the board inevitably accept the union's choice? The board will
1: accept the union's choice, yes. Inevitably? The only time when the board will not accept the union's choice is if it's inconsistent with these eight units. Frankly, I think that is as wrong.
5: Well, what what if the union... What about the question I just asked Mr. Shapiro? The union comes in and says, we want a, we want, uh, a unit made up of
1: numbers 4, 5, and 6. The second notice of proposed rulemaking in the, in the second rule said that we will assume that these are always appropriate. Now it says in the, in the final rule that, no, we're going to look at it because we don't want to have inappropriate groupings together, such as perhaps a physicians and guards unit. But ordinarily, the board will consider those to be appropriate. Uh, But it will look... they group
5: uh, these, uh, what would
1: otherwise be separate units. Right. Combined units will be regarded as ordinarily appropriate, uh, but not always appropriate, when requested by the union. They'll never be regarded as appropriate when the employer makes that kind of...
5: Or at least to this extent, uh, there has to be
1: case-by-case adjudication. That one issue where they decide to combine units, yes. But when, let's say, there's a, a petition for a unit of registered nurses, and the employer goes up, as, as it can in every other industry, and as it's always done in this industry, and says, this unit's inappropriate because of the way we staff. Or where they say, we're going to have a service and technical unit that's separate, as it said, for example, in the Vicksburg Hospital case, the Jewish Hospital Association case, and all three cases mentioned in the admonition. We're going to say that these units are not appropriate. The board is going to say we will not listen to that argument. We will not consider the facts and circumstances of this employer if the the union is asking for one of the eight units uh, that's in the rule. The argument here from the board is basically that the 9B language adds nothing to the statute. Section 9C requires a hearing in each case. All the factors that the board is still going to consider, uh, the issues that they're going to consider, don't go really to which units are appropriate, but go to the kinds of things that, uh, that are appropriate under, under Section 9C, and that have to be decided. 9B, where it says the board shall determine the appropriate unit in each case, uh, will be completely ignored. I think it's useful to look at page 186 and 187 of the joint appendix, where the board describes the extraordinary circumstances exception and where it sets out all of the things it will no longer consider. And I think to compare that with other cases. Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Thank you, Mr. Holsauer. The case is submitted.